Hi, this is Dawn Shireen, and this is my podcast, Dancing with Bipolar. Today's guest is David Woods Bartley, a speaker, storyteller, trainer who opens minds, touches hearts, and inspires others to action by his journey from mental illness to mental wellness. Part of David's mission statement is to shed light on the issue of mental illness, teach people how to leverage curiosity to overcome our fears, and use connection to create hope. Well, let's welcome David and answer some of these questions. Hello. Don? David. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing today? I'm great. It's a beautiful day here in uh, Northern California. Was it? We had snow earlier today in Arizona, and then it it got um it got up to about forty two where I am in at. I'm at, I'm not in Phoenix, obviously. <laughs> Wait a second. It got, you snow? It snowed in Arizona. It snows in Arizona. I live in the northern northern corner of Arizona, about a hundred miles from Flagstaff, which gets a lot of snow. Wow. And, uh, yeah, we've had it hasn't been a bad season this year, but when I first moved here to Arizona in the year that we're going to discuss, which is 2011, um, we got eight feet of snow my first winter here. Come so, on. I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. And I was like, wow, I moved all the way from Connecticut to come to New Hampshire West because that's what it was like to me. It reminds me so much of New Hampshire. So, yeah, oh no, it definitely snows. I know it doesn't seem like it should, but when you look at that longitude latitude line, it's like, yeah, I guess it could definitely snow here. So, I mean, it's snowed in Vegas. So. Not, uh, and does it get crazy hot where you are? It does not. Um, okay. We never, yeah, we never get that Phoenix weather where you have to wear, like, you know, oven mitts in order to drive oh, and stuff like that. God, Hottest we got was, like, you know, 97 and relative humidity. It's actually very, very reasonable here. So, you know, having having fled my prior life back east to here, I guess I – you know, couldn't have come any closer to living back in New England than I have, <laughs> you know, choosing Lakeside, Arizona to settle in. Wow. So, yeah, I, I know it sounds crazy, right? It's cold out right now. It's like 42 right now. So, I mean, it's chilly. It's not cold, but it's definitely chilly. No, so, I, and then, yeah, I and get then it. Tonight, tonight it's going to 24. So that gives you a, an idea of how diverse Arizona is. No, <laughs> yeah, I, I had Arizona in a small box. You know, yeah. even though you're you're my neighbor, you know, and Northern yeah. California, we run kind of the same climate. Um, you know, we'll get cold. We run a little bit. It always seems like in February we warm up for a short period of time. February yeah. is like brutal here. That's where it's like the least happy time to be here is in February. That's when it gets the coldest. That's when my pipes will relative almost always freeze on me, and it's like wow, yeah, right. And everybody thinks Arizona cactus and Phoenix. oh, I know, no, exactly, yeah. It snows in Sedona too, which is a lovely place. If you have never visited Sedona, um, I highly recommend a visit to Sedona. Yeah, and I've always heard about the Red Rocks and everything else. I've not yet been out there, but I, I know it's very spiritual with some amazing energy. So I'd love to yeah. I'd love to head out. It's a place to heal. When I first when I first moved to Arizona, um, well, no, we'll get into your story. <laughs> no, first... no, no, no. I'd love to hear about you. When I first moved to Arizona, I moved here um, to save my dog, and I was in an emotionally wrecked spot in my life and um like you know coming out of a bad relationship and basically fled the state of connecticut to get to as far away from connecticut as possible which arizona was because i wasn't right. down going to california yet um and i came here and i was just destroyed and somebody took me to sedona and there's a it's called the church on the hill something along those lines and it looks over sedona but it's the highest peak that you can get to in sedona 
and they're like, it will heal you. And I'm like, yeah, nothing's going to heal me. I'm, I'm destroyed, you know? And I go into this church and they're just closing it up. And for some reason, the person there must've seen that, like, I really needed this time and space to like, just balance, I guess is a good way to put it. And they left me alone in this church. They locked the doors around <laughs> me and were doing whatever, really, they were doing whatever they were doing to close up the place. And this let me have these like, 10 minutes in this window just like looking at nothing literally because my mind was just fried you know and I'm just like gazing out at I mean a a beautiful landscape but I was seeing like basically nothing because I just like couldn't focus and the person is like okay I gotta go gotta let you out I mean because literally I hauled ass to run up that hill to get there because it was like this is like my last chance to actually get any better I walked out of there and it was like all of a sudden everything fell back together again like I felt all my all my electrodes and everything and everything just kind of going back to like a state I hadn't felt in a really, really long time. So there's something to the healing in Sedona and that happened in 2012. Um, We have, you know, not similar stories, but we have similar things that have happened to us. Mm. So yeah, so 2012 and, um, and every once in a while I'm like, wow, I need to go take another trip to Sedona or this other beautiful place called a canyon with a vortex in it and it's like time to go and reset and um i know people think this sounds crazy but it is true there is so something to that whole electromagnetic whatever it is in the vortex areas that we have um a little touch into outer space maybe i'm not quite sure but you know there's something to it so i highly recommend to doing it to anybody who needs to reset no and i totally agree i mean i was i was raised in the as i called the woo woo my mom was so far ahead of her time from diet and spirituality and everything else so no i'm i'm right with you yeah it's it's with everything thankfully everything that is is not everything that we see which is a, which is a beautiful thing so yeah i've not been i don't think i've ever been to one of the vortex centers but i would love to go to sedona and i agree with you you got to reset. You got to have that. that. You have to. Yeah. You got to balance because if you're the way life is, um, even without what we've been through, well, the way life is, if you just are, are going headstrong and just always up in the clouds, you're going to fall down. Yep. And if you're always down on the ground and aren't ever reaching for the ground, I mean, for the stars, you're going to bury yourself. Yeah, I agree. So you kinda, well said. You know, you got to got to do both. Yeah. All right. So NC David now. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I gave the audience a little bit of a preview prior to um, our starting to talk. So they have a general idea of um, what you're about or what you, what you, um, what your mission is, I guess is a good way to put it. Okay. So I want to start with this though. I think this is your mission statement, but I'm not sure, but it's something I picked up out of um, reading about you. And it says to shed light on the issue of mental illness Teach people how to leverage curiosity to overcome our fears and use connection to create hope. Mm. Is that part of your mission statement? Is that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, in fact, it's funny, that, Don, is the the last paragraph on my bio. Okay. Yeah, and it does. It encapsulates everything that I feel like at this point, for really for ever since August 31st, 2011, and for the foreseeable future, like the rest of my life, that's what I'm supposed to do. And my takeaway is connection creates hope and hope saves lives. You know, we've all been, we've all been to a wedding and we've all heard second Corinthians of faith, hope, and love that love is the greatest. And I'd say, you know what, with all due respect, I disagree because people don't die for lack of love and people don't die for lack of faith. They die for lack of hope. And I think 
it's really, you know, we get into that place of hopelessness and really there's nothing left. And I believe that we create hope. We can consciously create hope. And we already know that we can do this because we've had the experience by becoming connected, not just in significant relationships, but with the person or the persons that we see maybe once a day, once a week, once a month, or even a one-off. Connection can happen everywhere we go. And there's lots of different ways that we can do it. And we can talk about that at one point. But yeah, I mean, so my, my mission is to go around and tell my story to put a face on the malady, because oftentimes I believe, if not most of the times, what hurts the most can't be seen. True. Let people know what it feels like, because I still have my days. Let them know what I've learned. It wasn't my choice and it wasn't my fault. And then what I do to stay well is by putting my self-care on a pedestal, which is the least selfish thing in the world. Because I agree. when my cup is empty, I have nothing to help quench your parched soul. And then ultimately to help ourselves and others, connection is the answer. Because it's the purest form of reciprocity. In this divine moment with you now, there's no way I could have a competing thought of mental illness or suicide. I can't because I'm connected with another great soul. And it also, in the things that I talk about, about remembering a person's name, leveraging curiosity to create understanding, and letting those that we know well and those that we meet, how we feel about them, those things release us from the fear that we're going to say or do the wrong thing. Because people are like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. Well, here, do this. Become great right. at names. Become great at creating the space for somebody to tell their story. Become a master of the handwritten note. And that'll never be wrong. And yet nobody expects you to do any of those things. So every time you do them, it's like you're giving somebody a surprise party. It's just like, bam. It's like, That's oh. really true. Yeah. And so. When was the last time you got a handwritten note from somebody? I get regularly um i'm sure i got one this week i'm looking at my desk right now it was my birthday not long ago so i got a whole bunch of them um but yeah i get i I get them and then when i when i teach and and go out and speak and everything there's i have a handful that i that i use the most the one that i used at the end of my ted talk and i use it most of all Mm -hmm. was written from a, a i've never had children natalie's like a daughter to me and I saw that TED talk that made me cry. I know it's in that, that darn that. Odie story. Yeah, horse. <laughs> Love that guy. He was a... But you can tell it to the audience because I'm not sure that I they um have all seen the TED talk yet. And if you haven't, I definitely encourage you to go and find it. It's on his um, it'll be in his show notes. But, yeah. Um, so when yeah, the, I mean, when this note, just to finish up on that. It's amazing. And it, and I mean, I, I have read this note, Dawn, I don't know, hundreds of times. And I guess that's the other thing about a note is it never loses its impact. You know, we all carry around some number of handwritten notes that we have had for whatever period of time. We just that's what we do because they're 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 unique and they're valuable and they're priceless to us. And and when we take them out, it's just like the first time. And, and even after reading Natalie's notes so many times, it never loses its impact. And I've come to believe, as I said, it's the perfect note because it offers support, not advice. It mm-hmm. oozes understanding, has no judgment. And then she lets me know that we are a team and we can do this. And as she writes in her note, she says, I am ready to kick some depression ass. But then awesome. <laughs> at the end, here are the seven best words that I've ever heard in my life. And this is at the ending sentence of the note that my beloved Natalie says to me. 
She says, depression can't have you because you're ours. Yeah. And it's so powerful yeah. to like know that you that you belong because in within my depression I also have um borderline personality disorder. So mm. I have that aban- that abandonment disconnection thing that comes up much too often. And you know, now I'm older so I have like a pretty good tool belt and I've learned that my mind is generally lying to me that I am always connected to the people that love me, that we're never not gonna be connected even after death. There will still be a connection. But in that mindset where all your, where that blackness and that darkness are, it's always good to just, like, I would, I have notes too that I pull out and I have things that people have given me that when I'm getting those mindsets, I'm like, but this is true. This is tangible. I can hold mm. this in my hand. Oh, I, I can look that. at this. I can feel this. And this is true. What my mind at this point in time right now is telling me is a lie. And I can't tell you the amount of times that it has gotten me over that hump. You know, we're, I'm not really, I'm not, I have no plan. It's an ideation and it's there, but I have no plan to do anything. But without that tangible piece of whatever it is to pick up and hold or hug or smell, like I love guys' t shirts, like my boyfriend's t shirts. I, you know, (laughs) I love that. That's good. But it's true, you know, and I have that. And it's like, if, if this was a lie, then I would not have this. He would not be part of who I am right now. Right. And um, yeah, it's very key. The connect. I I agree with you because there's been times in my life when I've gone without any connection whatsoever, like isolated myself on purpose from people, mm-hmm. which is probably is probably the worst thing that you can actually really do. You know, turn off the phone, lock the door, pull the shades, and then just isolate. Which it's it's a terrible. It's not it's not good to do any anybody. Don't do that. If you if you need to reach out, you all know that you can text me on my cell phone and get a hold of me if you need to talk to somebody. And um, yeah, don't don't isolate. It's all bad. No, it is. And I think that you know we all need. There, I think for me, there's a distinction between isolation and solitude. Solitude's a choice. Isolation is not. And nothing. I don't like to use absolutes, but this is an appropriate one in my mind. Nothing good comes out of isolation. And I, so I was blessed to be married to an amazing woman, my former bride, Deanna, who's a great friend of mine. We were involved in animal care and rescue for 20 years, yeah. hence the story about Odie. Yeah. But what I noticed, and I don't know if you, if this has been your experience, that there are times that the monster, as I call my mental illness, is, can be very seductive. You know, just stay in bed, stay in your room, you know, simultaneously all saying no one really wants to talk to you or or anything else. And then you will you are sequestered into this space. So one of the horses that came to the sanctuary was this jet black, older quarter horse named we called him Big Cloud. And what had happened was somebody I use that term loosely had um, enticed him to come into a trailer. And then this SOB drove Big Cloud, this beautiful older horse, out into this desolated, isolated area and then just dropped him off and left, just just left into like what would be the epitome of isolation. So you're taken from your familiar surroundings where at a minimum you feel connected. You at least see people. You hear people. There were people that cared for him in, in some way, shape or form. And he's taken out of that into this horrific place of isolation not knowing why, wondering why, and then beginning, of course, to fret and worry. And then 
by the by the grace of how, whatever you define life to be, a ranger on his non-regular pathway came upon this horse and was like, dude, what are you doing here? <laughs> and was then able to bring him ultimately to the sanctuary. But I use the story because I think that that's what happens to us is we're enticed that being isolated is somehow going to be a good thing. But then we are trucked away to an even darker place and then we were abandoned yep. even the even the monster lets go of us that we're into it's like somebody has dropped us into this horrific abyss exactly so, That's what i was gonna I always use that word so perfect yeah it, it is it's it's ter- abyss. oh it's terrible it's just you know it's it is just yeah it, it's it's awful and, and when in my talks and i did a talk I, it was interesting yesterday i had an experience which i've never had before is invited to give a keynote to a group. They called it a teen esteem event and it was for young women. So there's probably a hundred teenage girls and it was put on by the Soroptimus, which is an amazing organization. And so I walked into the room and realized quickly I was the only male presence in the room. (laughs) And it was actually kind of cool. I'm like, wow. So I'm 57 and these girls, I've never, as mentioned, never had children. But I thought, you know, I wanted to be really honest and open about what it feels like, what I believe the cause of mine was. And for me, it was the confluence of genetics and then the trauma of being raped by a Boy Scout leader, just to share all these things. Right. Um, And what I tell, I tell the story about what it feels like. One of the Boston Terriers that came to the sanctuary was a Boston named Winston, who, Don, when he came, it was like he was lifeless, like he was dead. And I don't know if you know about Boston's. I mean, I've had like 40 that I've rescued in my life. And I'm obsessed. If you look at my room right now, it's like a Boston Terrier shrine. <laughs> they are the epitome of joy and enthusiasm. They fart and they snort and they <laughs> run around and they're your best friend. And they like a little, you know, little being in a tuxedo. <laughs> Win- Winnie was like he was dead. I mean, the rescuer put him in our arms and his, his body was limp. Oh my God. He was breathing. And I remember when we put him on the ground, instead of his ear, his ears straight up like a Boston is, his head hung so low, his chin literally dragged on the carpet. Mm-hmm. And the reason he was this way is because he experienced the horror of being used as a bait dog oh my in God. a dog fighting mm-hmm. ring. And he used the story intentionally because it's awful and tell people that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like when someone is in the grip of the monster. And they're being, they, they are outnumbered, they are outmanned, they are outwoman, they are being attacked and ripped apart and violated and abused and raped and mauled yep. over and Star. over and over. Yeah, everything, everything. Yep. And then I circle back in the talk to say, what's the value of connection and how, in this case, to change this picture of Winnie to say, look, Winston got really well. <laughs> he... he was a brat was he <laughs> oh my gosh he was just such a delightful wonderful jerky brat and Dean and I used to say when they got jerky that was a good thing I mean he got he gained all this weight and his coat was magnificent and he had this big bold attitude he just wouldn't take crap from anybody and he was this lover and so that's what happens he this transformation from a dog that was basically dead to one that fully became alive, alive. 
as a result of connection and being cared and adored and loved and affirmed and fed and everything. It's just his whole being, body, mind, and spirit was attended to all the time. It's really, Dee and I, we didn't realize it at the time, but we had created, really based on Deanna's brilliance, this model of whole person care, whole being care for these animals. And most of the animals that came, well, all the animals came, they were either very sick, very old, had a special need, or they're at the end of life. So we did no adoptions. Once a being came, they stayed. And I used to tell them, look, your job, to as many as 100 that we had at any time, your job is just to be affirmed. <laughs> just wow. sit back and be adored. And so we cook food for them. We, people, veterinarians came and massage therapists came and acupuncturists came. And they just... All the dogs lived in the house and it was ridiculously clean and was super regular pattern. <laughs> so it's just, you know, if you look at a sentient being in need who had experienced trauma or fear or neglect or lost their beloved guardian, whatever it is, those of us who walk the path like you and I, things, these horrific things happen. I believe that we can truly experience our birthright. Mental health is not the privilege right of the Kardashians. We get to have it. <laughs> We get that when when we actively take responsibility and then align ourselves with our other souls who can support us to take care of the whole of who we are. You got to do the whole thing. Meds are great. I'm a huge med fan. Mm. But at best, meds are just going to quiet the symptoms. If I don't do my diet, my sleep, my exercise, my my spiritual practice, my purpose now traveling the country to speak my weekly therapy, my monthly psychiatry, take my meds every day, two different support groups. I got to do all those curative things in the quiet that the meds provide. And then the whole package together allows me to be Winston-like, including being a jerk at times. <laughs> I love that. And I have a pit, I have a pit bull. So I, do. Oh, they're so great. I, I do. He's laying right on my bed with me right now. And um, it's, what's his it's, name? His name, his name is doc D O C. And there's a story behind him, and um, it's, I'll go through it real quick because I have, I do have a bunch of questions for you. Okay. I got him, I got him when I got sober back east. So I was 40 when I finally got sober and finally got diagnosed with my bipolar disorder. And my AA sponsor at the time told me that a plant was not going to keep me sober, and that I needed to get a dog. And I was like, <laughs> the big book right here on page 138 says plant first, and she's like, you'll relapse, you'll relapse within a week if you don't get a dog. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, I was, I was, oh, I was a full blown alcoholic. I mean, I, I, I was in it to win it, you know. And my liver <laughs> function was at like two percent, and I was, I was a wreck. But I got sober. So she's like, "I'll be at your house at midnight," and I'm like, "At midnight?" I'm like, "Oh God!" I'm like, "All right," you know, because like when you're get full in, when you're right into recovery, that is like your go to person, and you do what they say you do for the most part. So I met her at midnight, and she took me um, a couple towns over to a city named Waterbury, Connecticut, to a gang yard, and points out this decrepit little dog, and she's like, right there, and I'm like, that's my dog, and she's like, bolt, go, the bolt cutters are in the trunk, pop the trunk, she goes, go get them, and I'm like, I'm gonna get, I'm first, I'm gonna get killed getting this dog. Secondly, oh my God, you know, and third. This is what my AA sponsor is saying to me, and I want to stay sober. I'm going to go get this dog. So I did. I went and I cut the chain, and I picked him up. I scooped him up, brought him into the car, and looked at him. And I was like, oh, my God, this is my life now. This is my dog. Wow. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's an amazing. So yeah. how many years ago was that? Uh, that was like he'll be 14 in April. So <gasps> yeah, please text me a picture. Yeah, of I will I'm totally. And so I named him long story short, you know, he's all beat up and he was being trained to be the bait dog. Mm. He had no weight on him. You know, I mean, it was like the whole nine yards, dirty, filthy, bruised blood, everything. And, um, I mean, I just love, love my dog so much. And I, like, I always like right before this interview, I was talking to him and I'm like, I don't know who I would be without you because you made me mm. a, a better person. Yeah. And I, I've had that connectedness with him since like, you know, like we're a couple, like, you know, you know what I mean? Not like that, but like, we're, we're a team whenever I'm out without him, everyone's like, where's doc. And I named him doc DOC department of Corrections. So I would remember where I was going if I didn't straighten my shit out. Oh my God, that's awesome. Yep. So he's my boo. That's my baby boy. And um Oh there's Yeah, so I get the oh whole, my God. I get the whole thing with the the bodily function. <laughs> the whole thing. No. Got, well if you so <laughs> I'll shoot you a link. There was a great video um that was made about the sanctuary by these wonderful people. So I'll, it's six minutes. I'll shoot it to you. Yeah. Once you can get an idea of, of how great Deanna was. And then you'll see the 23 dogs that we had at any one time, they all lived in the house. Like really. That's only right <laughs> as they should be. And, well, exactly. No, exactly. And it was clean. I'm a clean there. I'm not, well, I do probably have a little OCD, but. Um, That's okay. We all got something. <laughs> exactly. But anyway, yeah. I mean, so, and I love that. So, so you might, when you, do you speak at, do you go to AA gigs and tell that? I mean, that story, the whole bolt cutter thing, that's phenomenal. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm committing a felony with my with my <laughs> AA sponsor. But she, I mean, she was straight on. She, oh she my God, read yeah. me like a book. Yeah, and I have told that story several times. Oh, and I've, I've told it on a couple other podcasts that um I've been, I've, I've been a guest on. And um I want to, but like, I want to leave him a legacy because without him, there would be no me. There would be no dancing with right. the floor, right? There would be no me talking to you to help other people. It it would have ended. I would have I would have died. I would have I would have ultimately killed myself. Um, you know, which he saved me from more times than I can even imagine. That you know, because it's like such an un. When you're in that mind state, now we're gonna we're gonna get into this. When you're in that mind state, that suicidal mind state, like you're not even really rationally thinking. You're kind of. Mm you're just kind of like just above ground level, but you're not thinking about anything and any one little trigger could be it. You know, um, now you were in it to win it on that for sure. A bridge. Mm. Yeah. Seven, Tall bridge. 7,000 feet, right? Something like that. Or, no, set, set 700 feet. So oh, I was 7,000 feet. Yeah. Okay. Seven, yeah, that'd be, well, and you really, I mean, so everybody of course knows Golden Gate Bridge, but well, the Forest Hill Bridge, which is like, two hours it's close to where i live but it's like two hours east it's 500 feet further off the ground than the golden gate bridge okay then that's high because i i walked that one time and it terrified me so um yeah it's yeah crazy tall like yeah it's it's amazing view it's just like that bridge, that bad boy is whew, is yeah. really tall it's i would calculate it's going to take seven and a half seconds I was going to ask you if you did the schematics on it. <laughs> I, nope. I don't want to give people ideas on how to successfully kill yourself. So No, but, you know, and I tell people, that's why I think there's a, there's a great psychologist, Dr. Paul Quinette, who has a quote, it's the unasked questions that lead to tragedy. So 
you know, we have to talk to people about the reality of what they're experiencing. Like, did you do the math? Because I don't think any people don't those you and I, we don't get a chance to tell that story. So that thought potentially can come become contaminated. You know, the, the potential risk of like going back to the bridge or picking up a drink, whatever it is. But, right. you know, in the 12 tw- step vernacular of sunlight of the spirit, you know, anything we you know, promises kept or not promises, um, think of the word, you know, it's the lie. It's not the lies, but it's the stuff that we don't share is the stuff that will become toxic. Shame then secrets, becomes, right, exactly, secrets, become like oh. septic and then we're screwed or yeah, sepsis, whatever the hell it is. So I think <laughs> we do, we need to ask, like, did, did you do the math? I'm like, yeah, I did, you know? And it was like seven and a half seconds. And then, you know, I'm standing there thinking, okay, what, you know, like, okay, one, two, what's that going to be like? Like, what am I going to think? Right. You know, and then the only thing that I would, well, not the only thing, the, the main thing was like, please, God, I, I don't want to feel the impact. Like, pass you know, out, just, pass yeah, exactly. I mean, I was hoping I would pass out or I don't know, maybe even the divine thing, some, some like, like well, some, you, some, yeah. So. You had a divine thing happen to you, though. I mean, like, do you, because in, in those times, when you're in that head state, time has time is not time there is no No, exactly exactly Exactly. so so during that those moments or minutes or however long it was that you're well you said you were standing there with your head down like i Mm -hmm. maybe in a form of prayer in a way maybe well you know what that's that's a really great point i mean i was fixated that so the north fork of the american river runs perpendicular to the bridge 700 730 feet and um, I was just focused on this spot in the water. That said, interesting that you bring that up. Maybe there was the other part of me. You know, Wayne Dyer said, 99% of who we are is unseen and invisible and you can't mm-hmm. touch it. So maybe it was some percentage of that 99% that was like, okay, man, we need to like hang here for long enough for somebody to notice and do their thing. So maybe it was. That's a good point. I didn't, had never thought of that. Yeah, I mean, because um, do you, I, I know it's hard to say right now because it's it's past and you've gotten help and you're you're well now, um, or, or weller. That's a terrible word. That's not a real word. No, but that you know, no, but everybody knows what it means. That's a good word. But uh, do you do you really think you would have done it? Do you think were you were you really there at that? Were you just there? I think yes, and and the reason. And this is what I tell people is that of all the lies that the monster had convinced me, you know, worthless, useless, an embarrassment, mm-hmm. a piece of crap, grotesque, ugly, stupid, mm-hmm. all those things of everything that he convinced me of the most damning, the, the straw that broke the back of my soul was I had become convinced that Deanna's life and everybody important to me, their lives would improve, not a little bit, but exponentially, if I would just be gone. And I had, I don't add this probably most time because I forget, but I had a million dollar life insurance policy. And I had checked to make sure that even if I had ended my life, it would be covered. Like, so I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I am like a scourge. I am a piece of, you know what? Mm -hmm. People will be happier. There'll be money for D to really expand the sanctuary and people won't have to do all these other things. I'm just like, okay, I just, it was really just overcoming my fear in that moment of 
I just don't want to feel the impact. I know it's the right thing to do. I'm just trying to like steal my nerves. And right. I, was, I had closed my eyes to rehearse the move. At the time, the barrier was four and a half feet. They, they have since risen it to six feet, cool. which has helped. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there, unfortunately, there are brothers, brothers in terms of other middle-aged men who have cruised up, popped a ladder out of a truck, and then used that. And, oh, yeah, hello. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, but no, I think it has, so, but at the time, it was lower, so I'm, I have my eyes closed, and I'm rehearsing this move, like, okay, just, you know, I've got to do this, and, right. and it was. You don't up on that final act, right? I mean, no, I mean, you know, probably not going to make a difference anyway, but, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I was, I, I had my ducks in a row, I had a note written, truck was there, life insurance policy, yeah, just, so, in my mind, it was, and you said it beautifully, in my mind, it was logical, but in reality, it was completely illogical, right. like, made no sense, like, people, you know, and they've told me and they tell me to this day that if you were gone, it would be indescribable. When I still, you know, it's funny because I still have a hard time and I'm not saying this to elicit any, any response, but it's the truth of the way my brain, because I still have to manage this condition. I still, Don, have a very difficult time, even in my primary relationship with my, my beloved now, Summer. I still have a really hard time believing and understanding when someone says, you know, I miss you. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't. It's you don't get like, it? I, yeah. I'm like, no, I don't. And, and again, I'm not saying this to say, oh no, you're great. I just, oh, no, it's no, like, no. like my mind, I still think I don't, I mean, I know I'm a nice guy and I feel like I'm trying to do the best I can do, but I'm like, I don't know what would be so valuable and meaningful about my presence that it would actually be missed. Oh. It's just something. It's just interesting. It's just the I way my get brain, it. No, yeah. I totally understand it, but I, you would be gravely missed. Um, yeah, no, as you, as, as you would, my God, I mean, just imagine doc, you know, I, with his, I, his mom gone. Are you kidding me? Well, I've put so, or in your I'm beloved not. boyfriend. I mean, what's yeah. he going to do with his shirts? <laughs> damn like dude i got you know i have all these shirts what am i gonna do with them that's so funny but it is true because when he tells me he loves me and this is like he's like the first relationship and i'm 55 and he's i'm not gonna well, say 57 his. so there we are so he's he's um younger generationally younger than me um which well here's of, so I, here's the funny thing so here, I'm just going to cut to the chase. Summer is 20 years younger than I am. Okay, so we're he's 32. So yeah, I'm 55. There you go. There we go, Look right? Look at us. We're and, the best. <laughs> and, um, but I mean, the connection that we have is amazing. And it's oh, like the it. first real love connection that I felt in my life. And I'm not sure if it's because I finally got to that point of understanding, you know, besides what the love, the unconditional love for my, my dog but that mm. I've gotten to the point of realizing that I too am worthy of yeah. that form of unconditional love. And um, I mean, it's yeah. a great relationship. We do our, we, we each do our own things. We're not up each other's butts all the time. You know, we give right. each other space. And then when we're together, we're together. I mean, it's like, there's no, there's no between us, but you know, we, it's like my, I guess it's the first real mature relationship I've been in and having grown up in a completely dysfunctional family situation where boundaries were completely missing, didn't, mm. didn't, you know what I mean? You know exactly what I mean. And didn't yeah. like, oh, 
what what began what and where we should do this from and and where the where the lines were because they were all skewed you know i was molested by my grandfather from the age of i'm not sure how young until i was eight i made it stop i confronted him in front of my church um whoa yeah he was bringing me good for you that's yeah i've always been a little bit of a ball buster i was just (laughs) you know oh girl (laughs) thank you like yo dude this is this, this is, is stopping that, now. This isn't happening anymore. And I got out of the car at in front of the church, Sunday school, people all around, and um, it got taken care of. Just just leave it at that. Um, didn't really help my family situation much on that side of the family, but I was well, no longer being molested, and that yeah. was like the bottom line. So um, so well, that, that's have, a yeah, that's yeah. that's a great instance in which the ends justify the means. Like whatever, whatever. And I'm very key in telling people because I've been through a lot of women's trauma. I've been through a lot of shit in my life, that, you know, but I've been through a lot of women's trauma groups and every single one of us have that one thing in common. And it seems to be, yeah. I mean, and I've met uh, many gentlemen also who have had that, you know, that significant event happen to them that has kind of set their road. Yep. And I agree. But we've changed our road. Like you, thank God that person drove by and called for help for you. And you, you paused that extra minute to figure out how you were going to get over that wall or whatever. You yeah. Extra second. You had that divine intervention that you were saved. And you had that connection with that person who had that connection with you first. Cause you didn't even know they were there. Yeah. And they decided to reach out and help you. Thank God you know, or whatever it is that you all believe in. Thank your toaster if that's your higher power. But I mean, you know, like. Or your dog. Thank your dog. I mean, you know, G-O-D-D-O-G. And I'm just saying, come on. You like? (laughs) He's totally my boo. He's a boo dog. He's my booba. So what does leverage curiosity mean? So I think you, well, obviously you and I, amongst the rest of, of the world, have at least once in our life acted in a way that makes no sense to anybody else. (laughs) And if I think you would agree, dear sister, that in those moments or moment that there was some invisible internal condition, which was driving our behavior. Safe to say. Right. So we, me at the front of that list, am oftentimes in witnessing something that makes no sense. Not necessarily something as dramatic as a soul standing on a bridge, but, you know, a guy driving too slow or whatever it is. I can like, I are because our minds, I believe, are like the universe. They abhor a vacuum. I'm instantly going to start making up a story. Just boom, 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 boom. But not based on any facts or anything else. I'm just going to start making up a story to clear up, to put something in that, that space. space. But if we can pause for just a moment and be in the place of compassion. Krista Triplett gave a great TED talk and in it, she defines compassion as curiosity without assumption. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's it. So in other words, you, you look at the situation with your eyes and your ears. It's like a blank slate. Like I've never seen this before. And then you pose questions to the person typically with what and how, not so much why and when, because those right. are more defensive and there's this added stress of time, can simply be, what's going on? And ideally, how are you feeling right now? And universally, if we create the space for somebody to tell their story, we come to realize how, how right Fred Rogers was when he said, quite <laughs> frankly, 
There's no one you can't learn to love once you know the story. There's always a story. And I'm not saying we have to agree or condone all manners of behavior, but at a minimum, we can create an informed opinion as opposed to just making crap up. Sure. So the story I use all the time, and I love the story, I told it yesterday. We had a goose that came to the sanctuary, Adia, A-D-I-A, which is Swahili for beautiful. And when Adia came, we had Ricky, Lucy, and Dave. <clears throat> Ricky and Lucy were geese, and Dave was a duck. He was a mallard duck, and he had this messed up foot. So we had this huge, beautiful pond in the back. So bring Adia and set him down on the edge. And my expectation is he's a goose, and he has this beautiful pond. And he's going to jump into the water and be like, it's going to be like Shangri-La. Well, instead <laughs> of jumping into the water, we had this small water trough about the size of a small bathtub on the edge of the pond where the other animals drank out of. So instead of moving towards that which had been created for him, instead of going into therapy, instead of going into psychiatry, instead of taking meds, instead of being part of support group, this being, like any of us, or like sometimes, went into this small space. He went into the water trough and I thought, that's so odd. Why would you do that? So I'm thinking, okay, I can save you. I'm going to pluck him out. And then he jumps back in. So now I'm starting to go from curious to, okay, you're kind of annoying me. I got things to do. Well, we do this, Dawn, like 10 times. And then at one point, one of the horses comes to drink out of the water trough. And I, if you can imagine big horse, anxious goose, yeah. what's that interaction going to be like? So thank God my beloved comes along and says, honey, let's just chill. Maybe there's something we don't know about Adia. And I'll be honest, I'm like, okay, girl, what are you, who the, whatever, what are we going to find out that the bio of this goose that's going to make a difference? I got a major problem here. <laughs> so he comes back and says, sweetheart, guess what I found out? Adia had been a suburban goose. Adia had lived his whole life in somebody's small backyard. Adia had only ever swum in a kiddie pool. He had oh. never seen a pond. Did Someone still didn't know. Well, then, of course you would swim in a water trough. So we look at the people in our lives who we think, man, therapy works, medication works, psychiatry works. They have no reference or any reference that they did was awful or they heard the stories about something else. Adia had no idea what this pond was. It was too big for him to grasp. And then what? here's the beautiful, there are two things about that understanding that are just mind-blowingly great. That only we arrive there by, by way of curiosity. We have to ask questions. Understanding doesn't just happen. You have to create it. Deanna knew that. So at the moment that I'm like, oh my gosh, I know his story. I'm like, dude, you can just get a second water trough. Why are you illing? And But that solution is not available to us in the moment of frustration, in the moment of judgment, in the moment when I'm really, you're irritating the crap out of me. Right. So I literally don't, I sit, sit down next to the water trough on the edge of the pond. I'm like, Ooh, man, this is a life lesson. So I'm hanging out there five minutes later, all of a sudden out of my, the left, my left eye, I see Adia is moving around. He pops up out of the water trough, walks around my back and literally sits down right next to me. Oh, and the only thing that was missing was I was waiting for him to put his wing around me. <laughs> That would have been adorable. <laughs> it was amazing. I'm like, wow, dude, you were right. Five minutes after that, my man gets up, walks right back to that same edge where I first put him down. And with this amazing intensity, he looks at it, Ricky, Lucy, and Dave, turns to his left, looks at the water trough, 
turns all the way around, looks at me, then eyes back front, steps forward, and swims into the pond. The other part of understanding is, and this goes back to what you had talked about, it creates a vortex. It creates a magnetic draw in the safe place to allow a soul to go in and enjoy and be embraced by that which is in their best interest. So that's why I think the most direct path we have to overcoming the fears that we have around, around mental illness is to leverage the power of curiosity to create understanding. The opposite, of fe- the opposite of fear is not calm. The opposite of fear is understanding. The more we understand, the less we fear. That's so true. questions, questions, what and how. Questions create connection. Listening when somebody responds is one of the most amazing things we can do. And if you've not read any of Dr. Naomi Remen's books, her most famous is a book called Kitchen Table Wisdom. And the great doctor was a pediatrician trained in the non-emotional scientific way. And she basically said, you know what, this ain't working. Became this amazing healer. Her writing is brilliant. And Kitchen Table Wisdom is a collection of like 40 essays. And the quote that I use most often is which Dr. Remen says, our listening creates a sanctuary for the homeless parts in other people. Oh, wow. I know. Isn't that like crazy great? That's She's just kind like of caught sh- my breath. That's amazing. I know. And you think about it. <laughs> And we know this wow. to be true because we've had those instances in which a soul creates this beautiful, safe place and just like Natalie offers support, not advice and says, tell me your story and then just listens. I'm like, that's it. I was homeless, not in the literal sense, but in the emotional sense on that bridge. First responder comes and after the establishment of contact these logistical things the first question out of that soul's mouth was david what does it feel like to be depressed and i remember in that moment everything slowed down and i'm blessed to do hundreds of talks with police officers and i'll say brothers and sisters deploy curiosity like a tactical resource it's it's counterintuitive but you'd be amazed how that question can save a life yeah, because you're stopped. I mean, it stops you because you're not expecting to hear that. You're like, exactly. Yeah, you're expecting it, to hear how are you feeling or why or anything like that, but not what does this feel like? Like, wow. Yeah, you know? the difference between why are you why are you here? Why are you doing this versus what's going on? What are you feeling? What's happening? What has happened? Because people don't expect it. It's just as unexpected as going to a place and cutting off using bolt cutters and getting your dog true <laughs> that true. like oh my god i didn't wake up today thinking i was gonna do this yeah that was i didn't i didn't think that that's what, i thought she was taking me to denny's so we could drink coffee or about some to pan, pancakes man yep we didn't and we didn't go for pancakes after we actually where did we go oh we went to go buy dog food and a dog she went and bought it i stayed in the in the car with him and just like held him and rocked him like oh you have to send me pictures please i will i'll send oh my god he's all over my facebook but i'll send you pictures of him okay so um wow we've already gone 45 minutes that's crazy so um oh wow i know so i'm gonna have you back on again but why please yeah, we'll um, close this up a little bit here, but I wanted to um, have you talk a little bit about your ebook, My Troubled Mind Now Calm, Essays on Depression, Hope, and Healing, and let people know a little bit about that and anything else that you want to um, promote. This is your time. 
Yeah, I mean, my big thing, I mean, I love to write. Um, I'm actually working on a book. It's a funny title. Um, just <laughs> laugh every time I use it. It's really, it'll be a, it's a collection of stories. I use 20 or 30 stories of animals. So as I say, I wrap mental health in an animal tale. So in all the talks and the workshops that I do, I'm not a stat guy. I'm just, I'm a storyteller. And what I found is these stories are re people love them. They're not about me. They really honor the brilliance of my former bride. And, and I was a great person. I, I was consistent. Dee would create an idea and then I would implement it. Um, but it was really her passion. Every animal that came to the sanctuary became her baby. So these are all these stories that I use when I go around the, the country and tell them. So the book is going to be called They Pooped, We Scooped. <laughs> I know, great. <laughs> they Pooped, We Scooped, Unexpected Wisdom Picked Up at an Animal Sanctuary. Oh, my God. I love and it. it's this whole, it's this collection. And every, like, there's a, the first one, the first title tells how the whole sanctuary began and the title is the, the essay is an ending can lead to the beginning so the, they all have titles like that and they'll they'll use and i use all these different stories so i wrote this short ebook which still needs some editing so it's a little rough so the the grim the grammarians out there please grant me grace be kind yeah and it's so it's just it is there was a day probably i can't even remember it was a year and a half or no probably two years ago or so that Don, I woke up and I was cruising through the day and I'm like, I can't remember the last time I thought about killing myself. I'm like, where did it go? So I wrote an essay called, I stopped thinking about killing myself today. And then I wrote some other stuff. So this is a kind of a rough collection of these different essays about life. There's a, there's an essay in there called my doctor hugged me today, which is the first time my psychiatrist hugged me, which was amazing. And it's just, and then there's the story about Odie, which is a horse out of water. Yeah. So they're just fun. I mean, um, really what, if I may, what would be most helpful for, for me is for people who would like me to come speak or teach is to just book me to come on out. Um, I do a bunch of different talks. They're all stories and they all use animal stories. Very, it's not. point much like the idea story that's just it it tells the story of like wow okay that makes sense we see somebody doing something that makes no sense but if we knew what their past was they'd only swim in a kiddie pool well, we would do the same thing right. and then it changes everything so every story has a very specific teaching point to it and people enjoy it and i'm super super because of the fact I've been helped and served and supported and loved and adored, my job, I feel like you, dear sister, is to show up very real, very honest, very emotional. I cry, laugh, be silly. So it's, it's an, it, you know, I, if people benefit as much as I do, then I feel like I'm doing okay. So yeah. So I, I, yeah. I totally get it. And they can get a hold of you at um, davidwoodsbartley.com. Is that the best? Yeah, and please, Dave, you hear my, I give my cell number is 916-247-6389 and email. Yeah. I, so. Yeah, I just want people to be able to get a hold of you if they want you to be a keynote speaker for yeah. um, whatever. Um, and some training. The workshops, I think, the, the keynotes are great. Great in the sense of just they're very, they're entertaining. But a lot of times I ask people, I said, please allow me to do a training as well. 
because then I can really drill down the points in the keynote so people can really, really, really have it be something that they can take with them. And I know it works because I'll run into people that I gave a training to a year ago and they'll say, oh, my God, I've become really good at names or, oh, my gosh, I'm starting to write thank you notes like crazy. Oh, I've really become good at questions. I don't know if they would have that same level of ability or remember they had it just by listening to the keynote. So I purposely put talks and workshops together. So anyway, so that's it. Yeah. So anybody that wanted to get a hold of David and have him do that for you, I highly suggest it. DavidWoodsBartley.com. Um, I want to definitely have you back on. I don't please, know please, yeah, please, please, thinking, please. Well, October is Mental Health Month, so I mean we can set a tentative time for October. But I'd like to have you on again before that because I still have two whole pages full of questions <gasps> that we didn't even get to. I know. I know. <laughs> well, that's no. I just know I'm here to serve you, dear sister, and feel so incredibly blessed that life has connected us. And thank you for all that you're, you're doing and all the souls that you're helping, and for your beautiful dog and your wonderful beloved. Yeah, I've got cats too. I'll send you pictures of all of them yes, together. Yes, please. Send pictures of Doc. When I we first moved to Arizona, we lived on a ranch off grid, and there was two horses there, Toby and Shady. And um, it was kind of like that whole thing where you're like, oh man, the duck or the goose, the goose and the horse coming together. Oh man, and it was like the dog and now they loved each other. They used to, they loved each other. They're I've got pictures of them kissing with their noses and stuff like that. So um, Doc is an angel. I have no uh, doubt. That absolutely. No, I mean, yeah, yeah. And had I known, like, but the thing is, like, like, had I known at the beginning that having him in my life was going to lead me to this uh, for me helping other people, would I have accepted the offer to go with the bolt cutters? No, I know, know, right? No, no, no. You know what? I, I totally get it. And it's just, yeah, I think it, for me, Don, the same thing. I think a lot of, thank goodness I didn't know. I mean, we could talk about it last next time is the whole way the sanctuary started in animals. I didn't have a dog when I met Deanna when I, um, back in 1996. And the fact that ultimately then we would have this, you know, nationally recognized animal sanctuary, right. just, you know, the same level of unlikelihood, unlikeliness, if that's a word that you would go break into a place and get a dog. Like what? Of a gang yard. What? Yeah, like- Exactly. You know, that was known for fighting dogs and guns. Yeah, let's yeah, let's just go there. No, I get it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I believe me, I totally I can totally relate. Yeah. That's funny. So I did. So um yeah, fifty three minutes, we killed it. You're the best. Thank you. You too. I really, really enjoyed this interview. This is great. And I'll this is gonna drop on Sunday, but I'll drop you a note. Please ahead do. of time I'll okay. link you up all that good stuff alright well I love and adore you you're the best I can't wait for us thank to connect you, again you. right back at you man alright sweetie have a great day you too thanks Don later okay you're welcome bye bye